nope, nobody's going to work on paperwork for three months a year for $10 an acre. I feel like they shot themselves in the foot because you talked to them and they've enrolled almost their whole farm where a lot of landowners are like, well, what do I do now? You didn't really find that out until you got down in the weeds. Welcome to the MFA Made for Agriculture podcast. Here are your hosts, Adam Jones and Cameron Horine. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Made for Agriculture podcast. My name is Adam Jones. And I'm Cameron Horine. And we're back today with another off-season episode. Um, we're sitting here today with, with Emily Beck, our conservation specialist. Emily, we've had you on the podcast before and kind of talked about what you're working on. Uh, obviously, some calendar dates have certainly passed since then, but uh, give us a little update on um, on your position, I guess, just to kind of reiterate that for folks and then you know maybe what you've been working on recently. Yeah, so I'm actually coming up on one year. I started back in last February. And so since then, there has been a lot with carbon credits. Um, whenever I came in, we were just ending our carbon pilot with ESMC. And so then we were starting in on carbon by indigo. And so we just finished our enrollments in September. We also finished our pilot in September, but that does not mean that our landowners have gotten paid. We are starting to finalize all their enrollments, getting all their cropping history, and they won't get paid until next year, which we're still promised or feeling promising about that, um, that they'll get paid with a lot of different practice changes that they've implemented. Um, but we don't we don't think that we'll go any further just with carbon credits. Um, some things are kind of changing in the markets with them. Indigo was a great partnership and we had a great experience with them. Our customers have said some praise about them as well. Um, so it's definitely been a good one. It's just something that we probably won't continue with. Um, just seeing what other things are out there for landowners though. Yeah, so like obviously in like was pretty much 2019, kind of a lot of the, the carbon markets blew up and and, and kind of folks thought it was going to be uh, essentially a, a sellable credit that was going to be, you know, that win the day or win the marketplace or whatever. Um, again, I feel like we, there was some traction with that and then there wasn't. And w- what do you feel like was kind of the big holdup? And in, in, I have my opinions, obviously, I, I generally always do, Emily. But what, what do you feel like... <laughs> What do you feel like uh, was, was kind of the big holdup or the big headaches that folks ran into uh, pushing on that marketplace? I mean, there's several. I know a lot of companies, they're wanting to be you know zero emissions by 2030. And so that's where this big, huge market boom, I feel like, is coming from. Um, but the other thing is there was a lot of different companies on the market and it was hard to navigate. And then you then get those horror stories of, oh, I signed up and my contract length was so long, I was unable to do certain things. But then also, like I'd mentioned, there was folks not getting paid when they were in those carbon um, markets. And so farmers are people that they listen to other farmers. And if they had a bad experience, that just spreads like wildfire. And that's why I'm fortunate that we did have carbon by indigo because they have paid folks. And so Sure. Yes, there's a lot of different carbon markets out there, but it's hard to find a good one. Yeah, I think that that's why you know a lot of these folks did did pilot type projects, and and the the lift was just too high to make it scalable. And um, I you know I know previously and um, when I had your role, that was that was my feedback to everybody that would listen. Right, was that the lift is too high for the reward? You know, um, no nobody's going to work on paperwork for three months a year for $10 an acre, you know, and um, that was never scalable 
it would always work. We could always get interest. Farmers are interested in getting paid. They're interested in doing the right thing. They're even more interested in getting paid to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. So from that aspect, there's, there was never any resistance mm -hmm. to really any of that. Uh, the resistance is to the, the data lift and the traceability parts of it mm -hmm. and the paperwork. And it's like, okay, if I spend two and a half weeks entering information mm -hmm. into this app that you've created for me, and you're going to pay me, you know, next to nothing. Mm -hmm. I've got better things to do, you know. And that, yeah. like, I feel like that was yeah. a lot of the fallacy, right? It has to be more scalable, easier to track, all those kind of things. And um, with a lot of the verifications that a lot of those companies were trying to go through, you know, the gold standards, the Veras of the world, they just required extreme amounts of paperwork and traceability stuff that I, I just never felt like was going to be scalable. Well, and I feel like some farmers, they almost feel like they shot themselves in the foot because you talk to them and they've enrolled almost their whole farm in carbon credits with other companies. They mm -hmm. didn't get paid. So then they're trying to roll them over with other carbon companies. Well, then that carbon company is saying, well, we can't pay you because you've already done the practice change on your farm. Mm -hmm. And so now your soil is not sequestering as much carbon as we could have paid you for Right. And so that's where a lot of landowners are like, well, what do I do now? And I'm like, well, I'm sorry you bought in, I guess, too soon, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, but they were trying to do the right thing on their farm. So oh, that's sure. The, sure. the hard part with it. But Yeah. Yeah. So what do you feel like kind of the next step? I mean, I, I think you, you covered very effectively the, the fact that I don't I don't really feel like it's the the acre by acre credit. Right. The idea is certainly not dead. The the desire to have a, you know, however you want to air quote it, more sustainable product in the mm -hmm. marketplace, a lower carbon, car, you know, mm -hmm. again, air quotes that nobody can see uh, <laughs> in the grain in the marketplace. I think the desire for that is still out there. Yes. But like, how do we scale it moving forward? Or just kind of like, what are some things that you feel like are, you know, the up and comers of 2024 where carbon markets were the up-and-comers of 2019 and mm -hmm. 2020. Well, I know in Europe, they especially carbon markets, they took off, but also biodiversity credits, they had a lot more traction, but that's because they're making it mandatory over there. Mm -hmm. um, and I know Missouri Soybean Association, they've also talked about that too. And we have tried to do the bio credits over here as well, um, which there was a lot of interest in landowners to do those. But unfortunately, again, payments weren't able to be made um, there's been a lot of talk whenever I've been at conferences just about solar power. And that's another thing that I think is has some interest. It's just folks need to be a little bit more conservative when they are looking at those um, because they are taking prime crop ground out and then you aren't able to farm them or have an operator come in and farm them. Um, but I think there's still a lot to be seen, especially with Biden. Um, signing a lot of different funding availability. I know that that might direct things a little bit more. Um, I know we kind of talked about grain, um, some different things that are coming out on the grain side of things. Yeah, that that's kind of where I saw the market begin to shift a little bit and sort of started with the, the whole calamity of um, nonprofits scrambling for the, you know, climate smart commodities dollars and, and some of that. I, I think that's there were some halfway decent ideas born from some of that in the fact that, you know, you know, I feel like some of the 
you know, carbon intensity scoring or CI scoring of grain and, and trading bushels that way and um, things that can ride through a an already existing infrastructure of um, you know producing biofuels or or whatever. And that's where most of the mm-hmm. <clears throat> the carbon intensity score stuff matters. Um, but I, you know, I think folks realize that there is more of a sustainable future, I guess, in that than there was mm-hmm. in, um, in in the credit, the acre by acre credit side of things. But yeah, I could definitely see that, and I know that we are looking into it just to see where that market will go mm-hmm. and if it will be profitable and have traction with it, um, and see if it's something that our landowners can sure. access to. Sure, we certainly have the biofuel processing capacity. Um, in the Midwest to, to take advantage or in Missouri, even to take advantage of those kind of things. I think, you know, there's a lot of things depending on uh, what the future holds. A lot of that comes from, you know, the low carbon fuel standards in California. Are there going to be more states that adopt those sorts of standards? If there are, um, I think you're going to see a, a, a substantial uptick um, in that because if we're going to integrate biofuels into that low carbon um uh, fuels market, you're going to need a lot of grain producing that biofuel that has a really high CI score. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think there's some potential there, but it, it's not just, just like the carbon markets in general, it's not, a, it's not a dead ringer <laughs> yeah. or anything. Right. I don't think anybody's yes. figured that out yet. Right. But, um, I mean, they've certainly thrown money at it. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I know you've been, um, kind of a part of, of some of those grants and, um, things like that. How do you see, you know, just just from the thirty thousand foot level, how have you seen those um, those grants pro- progressing? You know, I, I can't remember how many millions of dollars they they threw at this. Billions of dollars. Billions of dollars yes. that they threw Billion at this, right? Um, how have you seen like is that money actually getting to the farm? So, like I said, there's billions of money being shot into all of this. But the thing is, is that whenever companies were applying for these grants they had a very short like short turnaround of how the infrastructure would be for those companies and how these grants would be structured and so even though 144 projects have been funded not all those projects are actually giving money to the landowners just yet because they don't have the infrastructure put in place and so there's only a handful of projects that are actually working right now where landowners can sign up and actually get funding. And so it's gonna be, from what I've seen, very challenging for landowners to navigate that. Because if you go on the USDA website, you can go to your state and even go into your state and go into what resource concern you wanna fund or get funded by. Um, There's so many, so many projects to navigate through and then try and figure out what their regulations are, what their requirements are, it's very challenging. And so I know the USDA, FSA, NRCS, all those acronyms, they're trying to make it more accessible to landowners. Um, But if that company or that um, university, for the most part, is not doing their own advertising, it's going to be very challenging for landowners to get that funding. Um, So we are partnered with MU, Center for Regenerative Ag, and they have their own funding opportunity, which is the circle grant. And we're doing a few things with those because they have eight incentive programs to, uh, for landowners to pick from. Gotcha. Yeah. I, 
I guess I'm sad to say that uh, I feel like that was somewhat predictable. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll <laughs> I think say, we all saw that. <laughs> I'll save you the I told you so was when I saw that initial list. I mean, especially um, especially when we tried to write our own grant as a company and we just knew that. Oh, yeah. I knew that. We knew that. We knew yeah. it when we went into it, right? Correct. That, I knew it when we went into it that it was it was something that, you know, we were never going to get looked at, you know, like like a university system or something mm-hmm. like that. As But I knew we had one thing, which was an ability to get the money to the grower. And that's uh, See, that's it, why you didn't qualify. <laughs> yeah. Again, Emily, I'm not going to say I told you so. But when I saw the list come out of, of ones that got kind of um, final stamp of approval, that was my first inclination, right? It was just like, okay, we're funding a bunch of um, kind of out there projects. Mm-hmm. These companies don't have direct ties to mm-hmm. the grower. These universities don't have ties directly mm-hmm. to the grower. They have no, you know, existing system to funnel those funds mm-hmm. into something where, where that's actionable, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and yeah, so color me shocked, I guess, that, uh, that that's what they're struggling with. But I think you made a good point too of, and I know just from when, and this is not completely on the topic, but when I was writing nutrient management plans and you think about some of the resource concerns that people have to work through when they're working with the government agencies, a lot of times guys don't even necessarily know what their resource concerns are, or if they do know what their resource concerns are, you don't know what all opportunities are out there to fix those resource concerns. And so, like you said, that list of all the stuff that you got to mm-hmm. sift through, what is, how do you know what is the right thing to pick to fix my resource concern to be able to be the most, not necessarily profitable, but be most advantageous mm-hmm. for you as a grower. Yeah. And you also have to be careful because if you are already receiving funding for some of these incentives, then mm-hmm. you can't qualify for these right. grants. You can't double dip. Yes. Yes. Yep. That is something to, to be scared of. I, I noticed that when, you know, a lot of the newer, when a lot of the carbon credit uh, folks were coming out initially, you know, that um, there there are entities or there are some of those entities out there that were, um, even back then, utilizing USDA grant type funding to, to help prop up, maybe not the right word choice, but essentially prop up their carbon market, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if if you were going to utilize that, you could not have, you know, you can't also get equip funds or or CSP funding or, or some of the traditional program funding that, that folks are used to utilizing county by county. And um, I always felt like that was sort of a, um, you know, sort of a facade of complexity, right? That they were kind of throwing up in front of, uh, in front of landowners and, and, and growers that um, you, you can't utilize all these programs together. You didn't really find that out until you got down in the weeds a little bit with them. And um, the, the grant funding was the same way, you know, and, and Another thing I wondered is like, well, how are all these people going to determine who's gotten equipped funding to make this practice change? You know, that's a uh, that's a bird's nest to try to take <laughs> apart. You know, right. um, so <clears throat> there's just there's a lot of challenges in that regard when you're trying to use so much federal funding, I guess, mm-hmm. um, on so few acres, if you will, right? Yes. And so you yes. trying to force it all into the you know the early adopters or the folks that are consistently utilizing these practices, and um, it's a challenge. So. Mm-hmm. I agree. And that's why I'm kind of wanting to have discussions, especially with, you know, MFA's platform with their podcast, have discussions on even where a landowner should start out at, um, who they need to talk to, what agencies they need to talk to. And so that's kind of where I'm wanting. Well, that's so 
she is the queen of transitions, which is why <laughs> she killed it. Yeah, that's she right. Killed it. She did awesome. <laughs> that's way better than you would have done, Cameron. Hundred uh, percent. So that's why we. Uh, that's another that's reason we're here today. Yeah, exactly. That's that's another reason that Emily's here today is um, we did want to kind of introduce her as uh, as somebody who we're going to task with with taking some of these discussions to the field, uh, having these discussions with folks, and uh, and being able to bring you more consistent episodes for for folks to listen to. I feel like when we when we get a guest in the room and we shut the door and we're able to record for a while, we really are able to put some really good uh, content out. And not just by content, I, I mean I don't mean that Cameron's a comedian or I am. I mean content as in uh, good quality information that that can make you uh, that that can help make uh, changes on the farm. And so um, Cameron and I are tied up to a point where we can't do that as consistently we consistently as we would like to. And so Emily's going to help us out by. Uh, putting together some really really nice episodes so um, really looking forward to those Emily and um, give us a little more of a tease of some stuff that you've got uh, an idea of, of kind of some interviews that you want to do yes so just going out in all these conferences um, there's quite a few that my job requires to go to I've noticed that there's a lot of landowners that are either upcoming um, there's landowners that are maybe trying to get back into the farming um, background of things. So, you know, maybe their grandpa and their dad are on the farm and now they're allowing them to have some of those acres. But also just if a farmer, you know, has passed away and then maybe left their land to um, the kids or even to the wife, there's some of that gray area where people don't know what to do with the farm and a lot of those are being sold. And so I want to make sure that they have the knowledge base of what government agencies can help them. Um, even know about leasings, whether that's for hunting, farming, easements, even estate planning, because there's a lot of times where someone passes away and they never left it to the kids or they didn't leave it in a way that allowed for more farming, you know, sustainable farming to continue. Um, but also just habitat, I got to put in for pollinators, of course, with me being a conservationist, but also for turkey and deer. Um, there's a lot of folks that have land that are absentee landowners. And so I'm just hoping to kind of shine some light on that and then show how MFA can even help you go further with it, whether it's you doing soil testings with us for your NRCS eligibility or buying cover crop seed, or even just bringing some MFA folks to the podcast so they can even get some insight on some of these government programs. And I yeah. don't know. I think it'd be really great. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I think those are all great ideas. Those are all extremely relevant on the landscape that we all live in and operate in. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to them uh, from my seat and uh, it takes a little pressure off Cameron and I to, to get episodes out. So um, I, I will make a promise that we're, we're going to start to drop uh, episodes every two weeks now moving forward. Um, and we'll, we'll get these in, in the, in the off season. And uh, I'm currently working uh, on, you know, kind of tightening the screws on all of our, uh, all of our area agronomists to do the in-season podcast over the summer again. Mm -hmm. um, I, we got some great feedback from that. I had a really good time doing it. Uh, hopefully mm -hmm. they did too, because I think they're going to get to do it again. So yes. <laughs> um, I think there's probably worse things on their calendar that they have to, uh, that they have to work through than, uh, than getting to talk about what's going on in the field every two weeks. But I, I felt like that was extremely valuable. So we're going to do that again this summer. So uh, between now and then, we're going to continue to push out episodes every couple of weeks, though. 
Um, so we're, we're certainly looking forward to that. But um, for today, Emily, anything else that you wanted wanted to add? We'll, we'll kind of drop this one if, if you're good with that and move forward with whatever topics you or Cameron and I have moving forward. No, I just appreciate you guys kind of not passing the torch, but yeah. maybe giving a little light to my torch. So yeah. thank you guys very much. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll just cut it in half, right? Yeah. I think that's great. Uh, that's great. So. Now, I appreciate everybody's time. appreciate your time coming in today. appreciate everybody's time uh, listening today. And we will absolutely talk to you next episode. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Made for Agriculture. Email comments and questions to podcast at mfa-inc.com.